Baseball isn't just numbers, numbers, numbers. This game is not being played on computers. You don't do that with a bunch of statistical gimmicks. You don't put a team together with a computer. We're talking weighted runs created plus. Expected Woba. Sweet spot rate. Defensive runs above average. Average exit velocity. Barrel rate. XFIP. BABIP. S-I-E-R-A. We are above replacement radio. And welcome to Above Replacement Radio, we're talking baseball, kind of whenever. I'm your host, Chris Piante. Over there, on the other side of the screen, is Daniel Curran. How you doing, Daniel? Chris, I'm doing very well today. Uh, we got some spring training free agency news. Uh, hopefully, more to come. We got spring training baseball, everyone's favorite. Um, and uh, we, got some, we got some tight pants, we got some see-through pants, we got some awful lettering on jerseys. Uh, it, we are ready to go for baseball season. Yes. Yeah. I mean, uh, I'm so excited to get my new, my new Jersey, you know, you know, so excited. Otani's on the Dodgers. Like, but I think a lot of people might not even be able to know that Otani's on the job on the Dodgers because it's hard to read like the last names on the jerseys. The, the, the city connect uniform sales are going to go so up this year. Cause no one's going to want to buy the actual jerseys. Yes. Yeah, I, I, I hope every so. team is every team outside of the Yankees and A's are going to have one this year. Yeah. 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 And I don't know if you saw this, but the Dodgers are just doing they're just trying again now. Like they're also yeah. getting a new one this year, which that I'm kind of for. Funny. I'm kind of for it. I think they had the worst ones. Yeah. Yeah. It it just wasn't it. And it I don't think it uh, satisfied the the actual city. I think, yeah, with, there's so much you could have done with L.A. And, like, you know, they, they had a good approach with, like, you know, uh, doing a jersey the, to honor, like, the Latin American population. It just still felt like they could have done so much more. Yeah, right, right, exactly. Um, I didn't hate the color, though. I will no, say. the color was dope. But, um, but yeah, they, there, was, there was no city connection. And, um, you know, everyone knows they're the real, like, L.A. team. So you could have, you know, there's... Uh, kind of made a Hollywood reference or something mm-hmm. to do something to do yeah. there. But um now, they, I feel like I feel like there's gonna be a lot it's gonna be a lot easier now knowing that the Angels have already done theirs. So like they don't like they don't have to steal an Angels idea. Um you know I think like still honoring the Hispanic population is great. Like I think it's uh, you know a large part of of the Dodgers fan base. It's a large part of the culture. Like good idea. Just like do do a little bit better job on the jerseys. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, and then, yeah. And then, you know, there's 30 MLB teams that would like a better job on the jerseys because yeah, the, uh, yeah. there've been some see-through pants. There've been some really small names. I don't think anyone's really enjoying it. I don't think fanatics at this point is enjoying it. It's I been... don't think I've ever it's... seen a more universally agreed upon opinion throughout all baseball fans. Yeah, no. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Like, uh, this is higher than, you know, like the Derek Jeter vote for, you know, uh, for Hall of Fame. Like this is yeah. higher than 99.7, I'd, I'd say. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're reaching Mariano Rivera levels here. Yes. Like that's, you know, that's not supposed to happen. Yeah, for sure. Like it's it's very odd. It's very odd. And, and like, yeah, I, I guess the silver lining is maybe, you know, they see a drop in in jersey sales and a change has to happen but who knows maybe they maybe they are selling these weird jerseys i don't know yeah no um, it is uh it's been something for sure 
it's been a press, pressing issue. And if you're unaware of what we're talking about, just look up the Fanatics jerseys. There's 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 a lot or of don't. issues. Or don't. Or don't. Yeah. If you also also fine. If you wanna yeah. If you wanna keep all you know, all the food that you've digested inside of you, <laughs> then uh maybe don't look up those fanatics jerseys. But yeah, uh <laughs> so that that's been the big news of the week. But a bomb did drop in the middle of the night last night. It was at like two AM Eastern time when uh Jeff Passon broke and or well two days prior this uh, lady named Lisa broke it, but um, Jeff Passan broke that the Cubs are signing Cody Bellinger, who who they had last year, uh, to a three-year, eighty million dollar deal. It is a three-year deal in which there are opt-outs after the first two, and uh, the first two years of that deal are uh, thirty million dollars per year, and then the final year is twenty million dollars per year. Um, so basically, it is a series of one-year contracts in which Bellinger can opt to stay with the team or um, try to restructure a deal or just completely go into free agency. Uh, what did you think about this move? Yeah, this is an interesting deal because Cody Bellinger is still only going into, I think, his age 28 season. So he is still, you know, for someone that's been through free agency twice now, like he is still, by all accounts, very young. Obviously, he was drafted out of high school, made his major league debut at age 21, one rookie of the year. Uh, that year he's going sorry he's going into his age 28 season actually um but regard yeah that's why i said age 28 season i don't know what i'm talking about um but i kind of like this deal for both sides weirdly enough um because like let's say uh cody ballinger goes through all three years he's still hitting for ages going into age 32 which is not that abnormal um it's i think in terms of market value it's the same average annual value he was hoping to get uh just you know it's a lot less years obviously right right um you know regarding yeah regarding this deal like i think a lot of people i think it's kind of the take to say like this is an l for uh you know cody bellinger's side and scott boris um however like you know maybe it is and i mean shout out to mlb trade rumors they predicted 12 years and 264 million dollars they were only off by nine and and one eighty four million, but nonetheless, yeah, that's right. Uh, but nonetheless, um, I don't think it's necessarily an L because like this very well could be just a one year thirty million dollar deal, which is really good and could um be a preview of a really long term, really high value deal. Um, so I think it's just like, Co- you know, Cody Bellinger is sort of betting on himself here. There may have possibly been like, you know five or six year deals on the table that were a lot less flexible. So, um, so yeah. And, and what I'm, what I'm looking at with the exact parallel of this deal is, uh, is Carlos Correa who basically did this exact deal, um, with a little bit more money attached to it, uh, two years ago when he headed into free agency during the, during the lockout, um, what Carlos Correa did, he signed for three years, $105 million. And it was the same thing, except, um, all three years were the exact same value, and he had opt-outs after every year until the until the contract ended. Uh, and what ended up happening is he opted out after the first year, and you know he agreed to a 13-year contract, then a 12-year contract, and then after the physicals, you know, after the teams were alarmed by the physicals, he agreed to a six-year contract with the Twins. Um, hopefully that doesn't happen with uh, 
with Cody Bellinger. Hopefully he doesn't have to go through all that, but um, uh, Correa did it heading into his age 27 season. Bellinger's doing it into his age 28 season. So as long as Bellinger keeps up his performance, which is questionable, no doubt. Um, but as long as he keeps up his performance, it should reward him in the end. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting in the Correa case because, uh, you know, teams were just given an, given a limited amount of time to sign him that first year, um, he, which is why he ended up taking that one year deal. And then, um, you know, in 2023, there was the whole injury thing. This is obviously a, a bit of a different situation than Cody Bellinger, who is, I would imagine, probably the biggest baseball savant hater in the world. And I don't, I don't blame him because uh, if, if we didn't know about expected statistics and this free agency happened seven years ago, this probably could have gone a lot differently. Like, he probably could have gotten a much longer deal, maybe not as much average annual value, but I think he would have had a lot more, you know, job security and a lot more of a vision for the rest of his career. Um, But, you know, it is good that this is happening in a 28-year-old's free agency and not, like, a 30-year-old's free agency because then, like, the the possibility of a long-term deal is, like, pretty much down the drain for the rest of his career. Um, But for Cody Bellinger, it's interesting. All he really has to do in 2023 if he still wants to get or in 2024 if he still wants to get a long-term deal is do exactly what he did last year in terms of results just do it differently yeah yeah for sure for sure um and you know we do mention the baseball savant stuff which you know obviously says that his uh his his hitting abilities were um under what the actual results showed um and i'll get into that a little bit later but i think also there's there's the fact that you know just in 2022 he had a 654 ops so like i think teams are looking to are looking for him to repeat success before they you know ink him up for six or seven years here um so there is that aspect to it a little bit no matter what the you know underlying numbers say but in regards to those underlying numbers, because I do have a few notes on it, we actually have a full short on uh, on why teams might be hesitant to sign Cody Bellinger, which I think ended up um, aging pretty well. But um, we have a whole, whole short on it, and uh, it talks about his success, well, his luck on uh, ground balls this, pa- uh, this past year. Um, just overall out of 81 hitters with 400 plus batted balls this past year, Bellinger had the second luckiest difference in batting average and expected batting average, Woba and expected Woba and slugging and expected slugging, uh, second luckiest in all those marks. Uh, he hit 309 on ground balls, 95 miles per hour or softer last year, at, which was the highest average by 25 points out of 114 hitters with 100 plus at, such batted balls last year. And we're going to categorize those as non hard hit ground balls because the only hard hit ones were ones that were exactly 95 miles per hour, um, which were not many of them. Uh, and there are, and uh, you know, so that trails me back to a comment that we got on the, mm-hmm. um, on the Cody Bellinger short. Um, this, I, I don't think this guy follows the channel. I think he just found it on the shorts feed and, you know, we don't really get comments a lot. So I figure, you know, I'll, I'll dive into this one a little bit to retract on it. Um, or, or to respond to it. So the response to the short was, uh, so Cody focused on guiding the ball where fielders weren't. Baseball isn't about launch angle, et cetera. Uh, it's about getting your butt on base and driving in runs. I wouldn't pay what Boris is dreaming, but I definitely kick the tires. Um, that last sentence was actually fairly logical. However, um, 
but what he was saying is so he was guiding it where the fielders weren't what a concept hit it where they ain't right well um the i the idea of the lack of sustainability with uh with Cody Bellinger is the fact that there are 306 hitters with a hundred plus non hard hit ground balls over the last two years. And none of them have hit uh 300 on those uh, ground balls. So literally no one has sustained it over a 300 average over the last two years, never mind, you know, talking four or five years. So, you know, that's not going to sustain itself. He's not going to hit 309 on, um, soft hit on, on a non hard hit ground balls. So, that's the, those are all the concerns that teams were looking at and they were kind of right to not really uh not really sign him off of the, the 307 average and the 881 OPS because those were inflated by some good luck on his side. Yeah, and I mean obviously no matter which way you try to break it down, I know that there are some concerns with Cody Bellinger. Obviously he just had his best season since his MVP in 2019. And before that, there were three seasons where he was abysmal to, like, kind of league average at best. Um, So, you know, people want to make sure that they're signing up for uh, a guy closer to the 133 OPS plus he put up last year than, say, the 44 OPS plus that he put up in 350 plate appearances throughout 2021 or even the 81 OPS plus from 2022. Um, You know, people want to make sure that, like, there's there's a good reason that he had a 133 OPS plus and if he can do it two years in a row then yeah I think there will be a team more inclined to sign him if he chooses to opt out of his deal um and if he doesn't he's gonna get another 30 million so um yeah I mean he obviously there are a lot of good things he did last year he cut down his strikeout rate uh and had his lowest strikeout rate in any season throughout his career uh it was actually like a little bit lower than his MVP season in 2019 um Obviously, that's that's a good thing, you know, hit the ball more and swing and miss less. I know that's a crazy concept, but that is actually a good thing, um, even if strikeouts are not the end of the world sometimes. The only problem is that he did it with an exit velocity over three miles per hour lower than his MVP season. Uh, yeah, he didn't. He hit the ball the softest he's ever hit it in his career. Um, he did supplement that by hitting a lot of line drives, his highest career line drive rate at 26.4%. Um, but that's also a hard thing to do, so... You know, people want him to be hitting the ball harder. You know, if he's gonna hit a lot, if he's gonna hit a lot of fly balls and not a lot of ground balls, um, they obviously want to make sure that he's hitting it hard enough, especially at a place like Wrigley Field where it is a little tougher to hit the ball down the lines. So, uh, you know, I mean, I I'm not, I it is kind of shocking that this free agency played out exactly the way that we, it would have if we were free if we were GMs, but um. Yeah, I mean, teams are teams are smarter now, and they are recognizing that sustainability can be questionable. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And and to take heat off of my, you know, sort of Bellinger bashing in in terms of talking about how he got lucky, and he definitely did get lucky last year. However, despite the luck, the underlying numbers still were all, all pretty much almost all across the board better. Uh, his expected numbers were the best you know, his expected numbers were the best since his, uh, well, since 2020, but in a full season, they were uh, his best since that MVP season. Uh, and that strikeout rate is the lowest it's ever been. Uh, line drive rate improved, sweet spot rate overall improved. So like he did make great improvements and he and he um, should have done better than his 2021 and 2022 based off the underlying numbers. It's just, he shouldn't have been an 881 OPS guy, a 307 average guy. Um, 
So he was more, he was closer to an average hitter than uh, a very good hitter, which is what the results showed. So um, in order for him to, you know, get a, a longer term deal, he's going to probably have to prove that he is that 881 OPS guy. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's, that's the point we're trying to make. It's not that, it's not that he didn't improve at all last year. It's just, he didn't improve probably as much as the results showed. Um, and we'll, you know, we could, you know, maybe he proves us wrong, but I, I don't predict that happens. Um, yeah, and I mean, very conveniently, the Cubs are in a situation where they just missed the playoffs last year. Uh, you know, the team that beat them in the division last year got worse. Um, and this, you know, I think a lot of people are going to view this as a move that puts them over the top in the NL Central and makes them maybe the favorites in that division. And, uh, you know, Bellinger was their best bat last year. He's a good defensive option in center field. He can also play first base. He's very versatile. And yeah, I mean, as you know, you know, based on his numbers last year, he is at minimum a league average hitter. And I know that you're not paying, you know, you don't want to pay $30 million for a league average hitter, but I feel like, you know, there's also reason to believe he can be an above league average hitter. You know, I mean, if he hits the ball a little harder and, and keeps his batted ball profile the same, like this could end up being a really good signing for the Cubs. Yeah, 100 percent. And like looking at the at their roster, like, you know, with bringing back Bellinger, they have one of the best outfields in baseball. Like they got Ian Hat, Cody Bellinger and Seiya Suzuki. Now, none of them are like necessarily elite at their position. However, we both had all three of them in our top 10 for left field, center field and right field. I don't know how many other I don't know if we have any other um, teams like that. Out. I don't think we do. Yeah, I, yeah. Off the top not to, of my not head, to mention, I can't think. Not to mention Pete Crow Armstrong coming off the bench as like a defensive replacement until he hits well enough to put himself in the lineup somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, right, exactly. So like, and there's a lot of options. And and Christopher Morell is typically, or is it Morell or Morell? It's Morell. Yeah, Christopher Morell is typically an outfielder, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they have him DHing now on Fangraphs. So so you know he. You know, if guys need rest or, you know, they just want to platoon or something, he could go in that outfield as well. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, like it deepens their their lineup a little bit, which and yeah, it's it's a great move for the Cubs who. You know, they they're in a the, the division seems like it's being teed up for them. You know what the Cubs should do if they're still open to spending more money? Um, Should they get another pitcher? They should create the greatest defensive infield the world has ever known and bring in Matt Chapman. Ooh. Because they currently have Nick Madrigal slated in as their first as their third baseman. Yeah, that would be a pretty good up pretty good upgrade. That would be that would be sick. That that would be sick. Like and yeah, that's an upgrade not only defensively, but also very much offensively. Like buy stock in any Cubs pitchers if you're looking at B War. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Look, Put in your put in your Justin Steele Cy Young bets right now. Oh yeah, ground ball pitcher with the mm-hmm. with the best with the best infield in the game. Oh my goodness, I I'd be I'd be really excited about that. Um, yeah, yeah that'd be, I think that'd be a lot of fun. That would be a lot of fun, and it would fill it like third base. It would, it would fill a positional like a need. Yeah, it yeah. would be an it would certainly be an upgrade offensively. I mean, Matt Chapman didn't you know I know Matt Chapman didn't have the best season last year especially after that uh, incredible month of April he had, but like you want, you're telling me you can replace Nick Madrigal. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. Put a guy that's better at the one thing that he does well. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, so yeah, like upgrade both on both sides. So yeah, that that would be cool. The Cubs, I mean, they're uh, they might be NL Central favorites right now, but like a, a Chapman deal would make me think, oh, they might be able to win a playoff series and not just make it there. Yeah. Yeah, they um, won't get they won't get blasted by like the Phillies, the six seeded Phillies. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Um. So yeah, uh, or like it, the or the you know the or the eighty four win Rockies. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um. Anything more on the uh, on the Bellinger deal? No, I think it's a you know I mean it's a good move for the Cubs. You know, like it does make them a much better team right now. Um. And yeah, I'm I'm happy for Cody Bellinger that he got. At the very least, a market value deal in terms of AAV. Didn't get it in years, but he's still young, so he can still get it. Yeah, and it's and it's solid for Bellinger. So like, yeah, if mm-hmm. he if he does kind of flop next year, he's still got fifty million dollars to make, <laughs> which is more than he probably had made previously in his career. So combined, For sure. I am very interested in seeing what this what kind of effect this will have on the remaining Boris free agents. Uh. Because what I mean, Snell is a Boris guy. I believe Chapman is a is Ch- yeah Chapman is a Boris guy. J D Martinez is he still a Boris guy? I'm not yeah, sure. Uh, yes, he is. And then yeah, right. I, mean, I I don't think yeah. I mean, this contract really isn't an option for any of those guys, considering they're all in their 30s right now. No. Um. Yeah, but uh, you know, does it mean they take less years than they were hoping for? Does it mean they? could take a cut on AAV in terms of years. By the way, is there anyone that has spent more time being a free agent than JD Martinez? <laughs> I was think I was thinking about this because this is his second time going to free agency. The first time he also went to like mid February before signing. Yeah, I mean like uh definitely like like maybe through combined time, but you know, shout out to Kimbrel and Dallas Keuchel back in twenty. Oh right, yeah, I forgot. Okay, outside of those, yeah, yeah, Martinez. Yeah, I, just... I guess I guess Kimbrel and Dallas Keuchel are valid answers to that. And, and yeah, Martinez probably wasn't signed till pretty late last offseason. Also, um, that's right, he was a free agent last year too. Yeah, so that is a that is a thing. Yeah, he's he's been a free agent for a, a good amount of time. Um, he's probably spent like over a year of his, of his life at this point as a free agent. Right. And yeah, he was cut he was cut by the Astros, he was a free agent then. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, well, he, was he, of... he was DFA'd. Is that yeah, I guess that counts. Yeah. Unless he was, unless he was like traded to the Tigers. I don't know what the if he was released, then yeah, he'd be a free agent, but he could have been DFA'd and then traded. I don't know what happened there. Right, yeah. I, I'm not completely sure on the details there. Um so uh so yeah and and i i'm not uh i'm not willing to go as far to be like because this is like the third um the third time we could say like oh the pin the pin fell now all the no i'm not going to say that either because it was it was otani first and then it was yamamoto and then it was like okay yeah cody bellinger got his 80 million dollar deal now it's time for now now (laughs) the guys are gonna sign yeah Yeah. i'm i'm yeah maybe the last guy will sign like march 20 fourth and then <laughs> and then we'll be done with this goodness gracious what happened yeah. what happened to the to the league i love 
Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I sent this to you yesterday, but Ken Rosenthal wrote a Kike Hernandez, like, the decision type column where it was like, there are four teams that are in yeah. a Kike Hernandez. He's making his decision Sunday or Monday. How does he fit on each team? It's like, man, we are so unserious. This is a this is like a one-year, $2 million contract. I need, I need Kike Hernandez, like a, like a um, high school, like a five-star high school rec- recruit with the hats out. Yeah, I need I need him. It's like that. it's like a, I don't know what the teams are. I haven't read it, uh, but it'd be funny if it was like the I don't know, like the Marlins, the Pirates. Yeah, I've decided <laughs> to sign a one year, four and a half million dollar deal <laughs> with the Rockies. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't uh, know where I'm going to fit there. They have a lot of good defensive outfielders already. Yeah. Yeah, hoping for the best there. But yeah, hopefully hopefully as we do more episodes and more divisional breakdowns, we'll have more free and signings to talk about. But um yeah, that was that was a big one and and it kind of came out of nowhere too. Mm-hmm. Um so good uh good that one guy got off the got off the list. But now on to the National League East preview, our final yeah. National League team to get into and then we will get into the al but that that's the way the list randomizer went about it It, it's true it's it's it was an actual list randomizer put us in that order um and uh and yeah we'll start with the nl east um always a fun division to talk about three playoff teams last year but we'll start off with the team in last place as a, a standard procedure with the washington nationals who uh were actually one of the better probably one of the better last place teams in baseball, which is sort of an oxymoron, but still um, 71 and 91 last year, uh, last place finish uh, over the off season, not many big additions or subtractions. They lost Dominic Smith, Carl Edwards, Jr., Michael Chavis, and they added Joey Gallo, Jesse Winker, Zach Davies, Nick Senzel, Dylan Floro, and Richard Blyer. Uh, who is your nationals player to watch? I'm going to be so honest with you. If there was a team out there where I could just opt out of doing a player to watch because I don't feel confident in anyone that's like within reason, I, it would probably be the Nationals because like I think CJ Abrams is too big for me to for me to go for. Uh, I, I don't know. But anyway, I'm taking a guy, a reliever, a left-handed reliever named Jose A. Ferrer. Uh, I think he's a very interesting pitcher, and I'm, I'm interested to see uh, – what he could do in a full season in 34 innings pitched in 2023, he did have a 5.03 ERA, but he had a 3.71 expected ERA. Uh, this is because he had a 55.3% ground ball rate, a 2.9% barrel rate, and a 29.3% sweet spot rate against. Uh, now I'm talking about Jose Ferrer, but this is really just a a player to watch on Jose A. Ferrer's fastball, his four seamer, because his four seamer averaged 21.3 inches of downward movement. And a 16 and a half inches of arm side movement uh, throughout last year, which is probably the most unique movement on any fastball in all of baseball. 57.5% of his four seamers had 20 plus inches of downward movement and 15 plus inches of arm side movement. That was the highest rate in all of 2023 by 21%, and the fifth highest among the 407 seasons in the StatCast era with at least 400 four seamers thrown. So, uh, yeah, one of the most unique uh, movements we've seen in a fastball uh, in the StatCast era. Four-seamers with those metrics uh, produced a 61% ground ball rate in 47 batted balls against, 
33.3% of his batted balls, uh, of the batted balls against his four-seamer were ground balls hit below the hard-hit threshold, and that was the fifth-highest rate among the 262 pitchers with at least 50 batted balls against their four-seamer. Uh, you know that I love me some ground ball pitchers. Jose A. Ferrer showed it in a, in a brief stint last year, only 30 innings pitched, but I'm very interested to see if he could uh, replicate that. The Nationals have one of the worst infield defenses in the league, so I'd be interested to see if maybe there's a team that would be willing to uh, take a chance on him in the trade market and maybe see him have more success that way. Uh, but I think Jose A. Ferrer could be an interesting name to look for in Washington if you're nerdy enough. Right. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, very interesting numbers. Like a sub 3% barrel rate does get mm-hmm. the eyes popping on uh, on this side of the screen. Um, my player to watch, and I'll, uh, I'll just forewarn, I, I think I've fallen into a trend of picking players who have like great batted ball uh, metrics but bad strikeout rates. And sometimes that sometimes that gamble works out. That worked out with Jake Berger last year, but sometimes it doesn't. I looked at like Derek Hall last year, who was very, very bad, and um a couple other guys that just didn't work out. But sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Uh this is a is one of those guys. Um, and I'm talking about Stone Garrett, um, who uh, played his second season. I think it was like an official rookie season because he didn't get a lot of playing time in 2022. And in 271 plate appearances last year, Stone Garrett hit 269 with an 801 OPS and 120 OPS plus. He had a 91.1 mile per hour av- average exit velocity, 38% sweet spot rate, and 30% line drive rate. And out of 343 hitters with 150 plus batted balls in 2023. His average exit velocity ranked 55th and sweet spot uh, sweet spot percentage ranked 57th, which are both uh, top 17% in the league last year uh, in regards to average exit velocity and sweet spot rate. And then out of uh, 343 hitters, like I just mentioned, his line drive rate ranked eighth and his hard hit line drive rate ranked third. So he was one of the best players in baseball at getting hard hit line drives which is uh you know very interesting it you know needs to cut down on the strikeout rate obviously sometimes that comes at the cost of average exit velocity but um but you know from what he showed last year very good at getting hard hit line drives and it resulted in a 120 ops plus uh so yeah that's all that's it for stone garrett um who seems like his name should be reversed and he should be garrett stone because when yeah. you read it backwards it seems it seems to make more sense but um, wh- who, what is your question? Yeah, before my question, I just want to say, I don't mean to make you feel worse about your pick if that's what's what's coming out of this, but I was actually going to put Stone Garrett, uh, but I ended up switching to Jose A. Ferrer. Yeah, I do feel the issue of like getting too much in a habit of, of high active velocity, high strikeout guys, because like in terms of like future value and like seeing, it's easier to see an improvement in strikeout rate than it is to look at a guy with like low strikeouts and high and low exit velocity and be like, well, you know what? He could hit the ball harder. So like, I get right. it. Um, right. How much time do we have left, by the way? 205. Okay, we got time. All right. Which of the two major prospects in the national system will make a larger impact at the big league level this year, James Wood or Dylan Cruz? Um, that's a good question. I will go with, uh, James Wood. Um, just cause like, I like, uh, seems like with this recent MLB draft class, we're, um, getting really into the idea of 
some of these guys, you know, contributing this year. Um, well, mostly with Cruz and Skeens, which I get because of how much talent they showed last year. But I'm just trying, I'm just like, I just kind of have my foot on the brake pedal on that. Um, but, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised either way. But I just with James Wood, I've been hearing about him for longer, at least uh, at the professional level. So um, I'll say James Wood. And also he had a crazy shot uh, last night. Yeah. Um, my uh, question regards maybe the two best pitchers in this rotation. Who will have the lower ERA? Josiah Gray or Mackenzie Gore. Yeah, I've I've wanted to be a Mackenzie Gore truther for so long. I just need him to be a little more confident in his secondary pitches because I think he threw his four seam fastball like sixty percent of the time last year, and it was fine. But you know, it just wasn't it just wasn't good enough to where it could carry him alone to being a good pitcher. Um, Josiah Gray was an all star last year, and he's looked decent at times. Um, I don't know. I, I'm going to bank on Mackenzie Gore developing some secondary pitches this year. Um, that's I, Maybe it's just me wanting to speak it into existence because I've wanted it to happen for so long now. But uh, I'm going to go with Mackenzie Gore. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Gray had the lower ERA last year, but Gore had a slightly lower FIP. Mm-hmm. Um, so now on to the Mets, who we did not expect. You know, if you said... Last, you know, this time last year, we'd be talking about the Mets this soon in the uh, in the episode. We would be very surprised because they were projected to be a playoff team easily, uh, you know, a division winner in a lot of people's minds. Uh, however, last year they went 75 and 87 and finished fourth in the NL East. Um, overall, they didn't uh, lose much in the offseason, more just at the trade deadline last year with Verlander and Scherzer. But over the offseason, the only major guy I could find was like Carlos Carrasco. And even he's not really a major loss. You know, he had a ERA over six last year. Uh, in terms of additions, they added a lot of like mid-tier uh, to lower-tier free agents or trade additions. They added uh, Harrison Bader, Luis Severino, Sean, Sean Manaya, Tyrone Taylor, Adrian Hauser, Luke Voigt, G-Man Choi, Jorge Lopez, Jose Iglesias, and Trace Thompson. Um, and uh, I, with how you mentioned that if you had to opt out of a team, um, you know, to not have a player to watch, you mentioned the Nationals. Mine was the Mets because outside of the, you know, core guys, I I have I had a hard time, like, really putting my faith in anyone else. <laughs> Um, that's fair. Know. There's there's too many high profile guys. Yeah, that's that's part of the problem you run into with the Mets. Like obviously Lindor is great. You know, Alonzo has his uh his upside and whatnot. Uh Senga before the injury, you know, he was their best pitcher in there. Um, but my player to watch is uh DJ Stewart. I don't have too much on DJ Stewart. He was a how about that of mine and maybe yours. Maybe it was a double dose. Um, sometime uh I think it was August or September of last year. Um, however, in 185 plate appearances last year, DJ Stewart hit 244 with an 840 OPS and 128 OPS plus. Um, just had had a random home run streak. Uh, he had a 12% barrel rate and a 59% pull rate uh, on all batted balls. 59% crazy is that's nuts. That's I don't think I don't think Ted Williams ever did that or or whoever you know whoever shifted against the most um out of 275 hitters with a hundred plus batted balls since Stewart's uh first game last year which was July 4th 
his pull rate was second highest and his pulled fly ball rate was 15th highest. And we mentioned how, you know, there's a lot of success to be had on pulled fly balls. I think the slugging on pulled fly balls uh, throughout the league was over 1700 last year. So good things happen when you pull fly balls. Um, and DJ Stewart did a lot of that last year, but that's all I got on DJ Stewart. Who is your Mets player to watch? Yeah, I, I chose to go a little more with the youth side of things because the Mets, I think, do have some interesting young guys. Uh, we haven't really seen any of them pan out yet. And I'm taking, you know, it's it's sort of like the route you took last year with Brett Beatty. But to this year, I am looking at Mark Vientos uh, because, you know, there are a lot of things that he can improve on, but I think there's also a lot of things that he has done well. Since the start of 2022, when he came uh, up for the first time, uh, there is a stat where Vientos ranks 11th uh, among the 480 hitters with at least 50 batted balls. He ranks between Kyle Schwarber and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. He ranks above guys like Austin Riley, Corey Seager, Julio Rodriguez, Mike Trout, and Juan Soto. Chris, do you want to guess what, what metric this is? Is it like a single single metric? Mm-hmm. Uh, is it average exit velocity? Yes, it is average exit velocity. He has a 92.6 career average exit velocity. Uh, the problem, of course, is that he... Uh, has a very high ground ball rate, a 53.7% ground ball rate. Uh, and that was just last year alone. Last year, he also had a 30.5% strikeout rate, a 4.3% walk rate, and a 44.3% straight away rate, which means 44% of his batted balls were hit up the middle, uh, which you can really only get singles out of, uh, maybe doubles if you hit it off the wall, but that's, you know, tough to do. Um, he did hit very well or against, or at least, you know, he hit better against fastballs last year than his expected number, than his actual numbers. He had a 202 batting average against fastballs last year with a 241 expected batting average. He also slugged 345 with a 446 expected slugging. That's a 39 point difference between expected batting average and actual batting average, the 32nd unluckiest uh, difference and a 101 point uh, difference in slugging and X-log, the 16th unluckiest among the 424 hitters with at least 50 batted balls against. So, you know, Mark Vientos does have a lot of things he needs to work on. He needs to work on his batted ball uh, profile with the ground balls. He needs to work on his strikeouts. He needs to work on his walks. He needs to work on uh, his batted ball direction. But he hits the ball hard and has done so since he came up. And if he fixes just one of those things this year, you know, whether it be the strikeouts, whether it be the walks, whether it be uh, the batted ball stuff, He's probably not going to fix all of them this year because that's a lot of things to fix in a one-year time. But if he fixes one, he could be a solid bat for the Mets at the very least, maybe a league average hitter. Um, you know, I think it's it's worth uh, taking some sort of interest in. So I am looking at Mark Vientos. Yeah, and there there have been a couple of instances where guys have had like the high exit velocity, but they're just hitting too many ground balls. And then they've improved that and become really good players. I think Yandy, Yandy Diaz is one of the uh, prime examples of that. Now he's like one of the best hitters in baseball. And Key Brian Hayes just made that adjustment. He um, went from grinding the ball way too much to I think his uh, ground ball rate was below average last year, and he ended up being an above average bat um, because of you know how hard he hits the ball and uh, where where he was hitting it um, angle wise. But uh, now on to questions. My question uh, regards a very popular Met, a guy who is heading into a contract year. Uh, Pete Alonzo, he is a career 136 OPS plus. Will that number be lowered or increased this year? I think it'll increase. Um, Pete Alonzo had a 205 BABIP last year, which 
is incredibly low. You know, obviously he does hit the ball very high in the air, which naturally means it's home run or an out most of the time. Um, but going into a contract year, I think he'll have better. Uh, he'll have he'll be better this year. You know, last year was his uh the worst year of his career statistically speaking. So, you know, I think there's a lot of room for him to go up. And uh, what was it, one thirty nine or something like that? One thirty six. Thirty six. Yeah, I think he can. I think he can match that uh, or break it this year. Um, so the injury of Kodai Senga really sets this rotation back a lot. You know, they've lost guys like Max Serger, Jacob DeGrom, Justin Verlander, Kodai Senga in the last, like, year and a half alone. Um, so who will log the most innings for this team? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, also, yeah, like, uh, I was looking at as a potential player to watch was David Peterson, and he's on the IL. He had hip surgery over the offseason. He probably wouldn't have logged the most innings anyway, but that's another option off the table. Um, yeah, I mean, I know pegged at the top of the rotation from the fan graphs roster resources, Jose Quintana, who had an injury last year that took him out for three months. Um, yeah, that, that is really tough. Um, I'm trying to think of who else is Tyler McGill is in there. Peterson is in there. Like you mentioned, um, who else is in there? Yeah. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna have to say that Quintana's injury was fluky last year and say that he does it because I think he had he might have had like 190 yeah. innings or something like that. There's also Severino before. who is also just off the injured list and hasn't pitched a full season since 2018 and uh, Adrian Hauser. Yeah, so like also with Quintana's like disregarding health whatsoever, not that Oh, and Sean Manaya as well. Yeah, disregarding health whatsoever, like um, no matter, and not that it's really something I'm too concerned about with Quintana is like, he's just probably the best pitcher in that group. And he's probably just going to get left in the most. And he's, he's the least likely to get taken out of the rotation because of bad performance, because I imagine that's a possibility for every single one of those other pitchers that you just mentioned. Um, Mm -hmm. so, uh, yeah. So yeah, that does it for the Mets. Now onto the Marlins, uh, the, who, uh, broke their, um, or no, they, Full season playoff drought. Uh, yeah. Or well, yeah. Well, yeah. Full season playoff drought for twenty years. Um, last year they went eighty four and seventy eight, finished third in the NL East, and lost to the Phillies in the National League Wild Card round. Um, over the off season they lost Jorge Soler, Garrett Hampson, Johnny Cueto, Yuli Gurriel, Joey Wendell, David Robertson, Jacob Stallings, and Matt Barnes. Uh, they added Trey Mancini and Christian Bethencourt. Who is your Marlins player to watch? Yeah, so my Marlins player to watch is a hitter that uh, has things he needs to improve on that very much coincides with the Marlins' offensive issues. I'm talking about Jesus Sanchez um, because... There are a lot of Marlins that I think are beyond saving in terms of what they need to do, but Jesus Sanchez is young enough to where I think there's still some hope. As a team, the Marlins pulled 21.5% of their fly balls in 2023. That is the lowest rate of any team in the last two seasons, um, not just the lowest in 2023. Jesus Sanchez is a guy that saw that shares this problem, but I believe there is a good chance for him to fix it. Um, His fly ball rate fell from 26.2% in 2022 to 18% in 
2023. So he did hit a lot less fly balls, but even when he did, he pulled only 17% of his fly balls. Uh, and for a guy with an average exit velocity above 90 miles per hour, this is not good. Um, Sanchez hit 296 and slugged 522 on four seamers with similar expected stats. So what you might think is, oh, he's a guy that's seeing a lot of fastballs. He just can't get ahead of them. And that's not necessarily true because uh, he is actually like getting, he is actually hitting well against fastballs. And I believe his pull, uh, his pull rate on fastballs is actually like slightly higher than it is against breaking balls on off-speed pitches. Um, but anyway, last year he put up the lowest strikeout rate and highest walk rate that he's had in any season of at least 50 plate appearances. So he did improve on those things. Um, and going to the other thing, if he's not pulling the ball, what is he doing? Well, he hit 50% of his fly balls to the opposite field last year. And on fly balls hit to the opposite field, he hit 391 and slugged 1,000. Uh, that average ranked tied for 10th and, and the slugging ranked tied for 16th among the 403 hitters with at least 50 fly, 50 fly balls. So Jesus Sanchez is already doing a good job when he hits the ball the other way. He's actually one of the best opposite field fly ball hitters in baseball. He has a lot of power. Now, just imagine what he could do if he evened that out and hit a little bit more to the pole side. You know, it doesn't even have to be like 40% like I would like to see. I mean, let's just take a step up from 17. Let's get it to 25 even. Like, let's get it to 30 even. Uh, and even still, that's not exactly where you want it to be. But there is such a big step up that needs to be taken there that I think he can at least take a small step forward and see some dramatic differences. Yeah, very, very interesting analysis. And Normally, this uh, this takes a lot less time, but we have our first overlap. Wow. Of the divisional breakdowns. Usually, it happens like in the first episode. So cool that it took us. Yeah, I was just say we almost went to the whole National League. Yeah, we took uh, it, it took 13 teams. But uh, yeah, Jesus Sanchez is also my player to watch. And at the end of this, I'll give a shout out to the second person I was considering. Um, but yeah. You went a lot more in depth with this than I did, and some of the questions I might have about Jesus Sanchez may have already been answered by uh, your analysis of him. But just to break him down, uh, he hit 253 with a 777 OPS last year and a 108 OPS plus. So, um, despite some of those failures, he was eight percent above average uh, offensively. So that potential is definitely there, as you mentioned. Uh, and he underperformed his expected WOBA by 19 points and his expected slugging by 28 points, which can partially be explained by his uh, lack of um, lack of hold fly balls. Um, and, you know, he, he definitely has that upside. He was 70th percentile or higher in average exit velocity, barrel rate, hard hit rate, and all expected categories. Um, and despite that low fly ball rate, he had a 12% barrel rate, which was, which is because, 46% of his fly balls were barrels. So although he didn't hit very many fly balls, when he hit them, he really hit them. Out of 402 hitters with 25-plus fly balls last year, Sanchez's barrel rate on fly balls particularly was fifth highest. So, you know, despite the low fly ball rate, he was hitting those fly balls very, very hard when he was hitting them. Uh, so that's something very cool about him. And, um, you know, six, uh, as you mentioned, succeeded uh, with the opposite field. Um, but yeah, should should be pulling the ball a little bit more because, uh, as we mentioned all the time, that usually leads to success. Yeah, the and the second guy I was looking at for the Marlins, 
uh, was a reliever by the name of Andrew Nardi, who pitched like his first like full full season. Yeah, he pitched his first full season, fifty seven innings, uh, and his expected ERA was in the ninety sixth percentile, and his average exit velocity was in the ninety ninth percentile. So he seems to be a real weapon out of the Marlins bullpen. Um, I considered him heavily because of how um, how great his uh, actual numbers were and his and his expected numbers were because he had a two six seven ERA and two seven seven expected ERA, which are really really good. So um, I just put in Sanchez because he's going to play. He's obviously going to play more than the reliever. So yeah, now on to questions. Yeah, Jesus Sanchez is a guy that has a lot of power. Um, I think it was in 2022. He had a, he hit like a 460 foot home run at Coors Field, um, mm. and it is Coors. By the way, another thing about him that I loved he he had the most average savant profile ever in terms of the run values. Yeah, you showed me that. It was hilarious. Yeah, 50, 50, 51. <laughs> yeah, that's great. That's great. Um, um my question for you, and <laughs> this this is a funny one. Uh, what has a higher chance of happening? Luis Arise uh, replicates his success from last season where maybe we're talking about a 400 run after a couple months. He finishes with a 135-ish OPS plus or, or uh, Sixto Sanchez pitches in a game. <laughs> Man, that's that's a tough question. I know. Like, because when you said Luis Arise repeating that success, I was like, well, I don't think that'll happen. And then Sixto Sanchez pitching in the game is like that. That's by the way, awesome. still still rookie of the year eligible. Yeah, yeah, he pitched I think thirty nine innings, which is like one off the mark. Yep. Um. Twenty twenty. Yeah. Uh. I'm gonna go ahead and say it's more likely Luis Rise repeats that success <laughs> because I, as I recall, like everything I've seen about Sixto Sanchez's progress has been negative news i remember i think it was like last season someone sent me or someone sent like our group that the fact that he was like maxing out at like 85 miles per hour in a triple a game last year i think that was, was me like, yeah he was he was like a he used to be a lethal um a lethal just 90 like averaging 96 97 on his like sinker and now he's you know, he's throwing like 10 miles per hour less. So yeah, yeah. I'm going to say, I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to ride the Luis rise train. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, someone, someone clip that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyone, anytime anyone says I'm pro analytics, yeah. go to that <laughs> one. Um, my, yeah, that was a, that was a gotcha question. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> my, uh, my question is a, is kind of a funny one. Last year, in total, Jake Berger had hit uh, 34 home runs. Last year, uh, Luis Arise struck out 34 times. <laughs> Which number will be higher this year? Ah, uh, well, did Jake Berger hit more home runs like in Miami or as a Miami Marlin than he did as a Chicago White Sox? I think he hit 25 as a White Sox player and, and nine as a Marlins player. Yeah, and obviously he played more with the White Sox. Yes. Uh, he hit 21 at home, 13 on the road, except that still doesn't help me. What did he hit at Marlins Park? 
he hits 17 home runs at guaranteed rate field, four home runs at Lone Depot Park. Uh, I'm going to say the higher number will be Luis Arias strikeouts. I think right. Jake Berger is going to hit a little less home runs, playing more games. I like I'm inclined to believe that Miami is like a less hitter friendly park than guaranteed right field. Um I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it gives me the vibes yeah. of, of that. Um yeah, I mean I you know, yeah, I'm gonna go Luis Arise. I'm also riding the Luis Arise train. There we go. There <laughs> well technically technically you're riding a against the, the, it yeah i mean work. it's weird because it's all it, it's weird because it's anti-arise but also anti-jake burger that is that is true yeah like if i said jake burger it would be pro both of them right yeah yeah so all, overall it's sort of overall it's a net it's a net negative all around yeah yeah, yeah i think Luis arise is going to strike out 40 times in 162 yeah. games in the year 2024 yeah but also I've I've had a weird thing about like one day I'm just gonna make a couple compila- compilations of like unusual things happening in baseball, but like making it seem like it happens all the time. And I want to do a Luis Arise with uh with compilation. Yeah. Like, oh, this guy sucks. He can't hit the ball. Um, the Joey Gallo single. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The exactly exactly. Um. Uh. So. So yeah. Now on to the Phillies. Um, who, yeah, are a very fun team, very fun team to watch. They went 90 and 72 last year, finished second in the NL East, defeated the Marlins in the National League wild card round, uh, defeated the Braves in the NLDS, and then lost shockingly to the Diamondbacks in the National League Championship Series. Uh, not too much action either way in the offseason. They lost Reese Hoskins. Uh, as far as additions, really, I could only find Whit Merrifield and Spencer Turnbull, although they did sign a big contract, uh, but he's not an addition. They signed uh, Aaron Nola to, to a seven-year deal uh, in his after a brief, very, very brief uh, stint in free agency. Yeah. Um. So uh, now on to my... Who, who knew, by the way, that like signing early was probably the way to go this offseason? Yeah, I mean, and he got a like he probably good deal. Yeah, he who, probably made himself like a few million by being by signing on like November nineteenth or something like that. Yeah, man, for a guy who had like a four four ERA last year, mm-hmm. pretty yeah, nice. the reigning Cy Young winner is gonna get less than that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, my player to watch. He's an interesting guy. I'm talking about Johan Rojas, um, he hit. 302 with a 772 OPS and 111 OPS plus, and also had 14 stolen bases in 59 games last year. It's almost one every four games. Very, very good, um, along with the 302 average and 111 OPS plus. Um, he outperformed his expected numbers by a lot, and he hit 400 on ground balls. But that is okay because he had a 96 percentile sprint speed. So he's likely to do better than average on ground balls and likely to outperform expected numbers. Now, I don't think he's going to expect his, I don't think he's going to outperform his expected Woba by like almost 80 points like he did last year, but I think he will continue to outperform his expected numbers by a little bit. 
uh, because yeah, he's he's really really fast, and that showed with his uh, stolen base numbers last year. Along with that, just that athleticism showed on defense. Uh, he had nine outs above average in only fifty nine games last year, which is crucial for the Phillies. Like they they have struggled with defense, uh, especially without field defense over the past several years. Johan Rojas really uh, brings brings a uh, you know a. You know, you know, a sense of security in that outfield uh, that they really need. So even if he doesn't perform like he did offensively last year, he's really, really big for the Phillies defense. Um, who is your Phillies player to watch? Uh, my Phillies player to watch is one of my favorites, a guy that I did as a how about that last year, and also a guy that shares a last name with my my last player. Uh, it is Christopher Sanchez, uh, a starting pitcher, a left-handed starting pitcher, who last year threw 99 in the third innings, and had a 3.44 ERA and a 3.74 expected ERA. Uh, he excelled last year with a 34.8% chase rate, a 4% walk rate, and a 57.7% ground ball rate. So a lot of things that he did a very good job of last year. He did get hit kind of hard, but that's all right. Um, the reason I I love Christopher Sanchez so much is that he has maybe the most unique movement of any starting pitcher or just any pitcher in general uh, in terms of like the volume of pitches he has unique movement on. In 2023, he threw 321 sinkers that had 27 plus inches of downward movement and 17 plus inches of arm side movement, which made up 47.6% of his sl- his sinkers. Uh, that was the fifth highest rate among the six. 64 pitchers with at least 500 sinkers thrown last year. He also threw 282 changeups with 40 plus inches of downward movement and 17 plus inches of arm side movement, making up 59.1% of his changeups, the fourth highest rate among the 44 pitchers with at least 400 changeups thrown. He also threw 272 sliders with at least 40 inches of downward movement and less than one inch of arm side movement, making up 88.3% of his sliders the eighth highest rate among the 158 pitchers with at least 300 sliders thrown. Every pitch that Christopher Sanchez throws moves in a funky way that is not normal. Um, He, you know, I think he's very interesting. Maybe he could even be more interesting as a reliever with like a, with a wide arsenal of weird pitches like this. Um, You know, I feel like he's a guy that could be very versatile for Philadelphia. Uh, They have him slotted in as the number five starter this year, but I'm very interested in seeing, uh, what that Arsenal can do for him uh, in a starter role. Right, right. And now on to the questions for the Phillies. Um, uh, I have a, I have a kind of a, a funny one here because it, it kind of crosses, uh, crosses paths. Who will have more strikeouts? Kyle Schwarber as a hitter or Zach Wheeler as a pitcher? Mm, that is a good one. Uh, for reference, uh, yeah, I was gonna say Wheeler had probably over 200 last year. Schwarber, I would imagine, had I would say less, right? So Wheeler had 212 as a pitcher, Schwarber had 215 as a hitter. Ooh, wow, Schwarber did play a lot of games. I think he played like, yeah, one I think I don't need I does Schwarber like have better numbers like as a DH than as a left fielder. Uh, that's a good question. Cause like there was, I remember there was a hitter. I forget who it was. I think it was a Red Sox hitter that like always, oh, it was JD Martinez. 
Like, uh, he would always, like, do very well as, a, as, like, a DH, but then he'd go to the outfield and, like, not hit as well. Um, I'm curious if Schwarber kind of had that as well. I mean, it looks like it's pretty the same. Four, 133 strikeouts in 473 plate appearances as a left fielder, 80, 82 strikeouts in 247 as a DH. That's probably around the same rate, I would imagine. Um, hmm, but Zach Wheeler strikeouts. I mean, Zach Wheeler pitched how many innings last year? He was like around 200, was he not? Uh, I think it was like low 190s, so yeah. 192 uh he's going into his age 34 season um and he is going into a contract year unless the phillies extend him which they very well could uh i am going to go i'm going to go with kyle schwarber strikeouts as a hitter yeah the the positional change didn't really appear to change his strikeout rate as much as i thought maybe it could have um and i don't see any reason to believe they're going to give him less plate appearances this year yeah yeah, it is it is a it's a thought provoker that one. Yeah. Um what do you My got for question? Yeah. So very famously last year, Trey Turner had been struggling up until early August when he got a standing ovation from the crowd and then he became one of the best hitters in the league. Before the standing ovation, he had an OPS of six fifty-seven, and after the standing ovation, he had a ten fifty-seven OPS. It lined up very perfectly there. So will Trey Turner have over at under an 857 OPS in 2024. I think I think he'll be pretty well under. Um mm-hmm. that's fair. And uh and I think and it's no discredit to what he did over the last two months, just looking over the longer sample. And I think I kind of analyzed this when I put him uh number 41 um in our ARR top 50 is like just it's been he's his offensive numbers have been progressively getting lower. OPS plus has gone from one one forty five to one twenty four to one eleven, um. So yeah, I mean, I think I I hope for the Phillies' sake and for Trey Turner's sake that that, um, that that second that two month run at the end, you know, really uh, puts him in the right direction. I just think um over the long term, like he can still be a good player. It's just I think he'll he'll be, you know, low eight hundreds, maybe high seven hundreds OPS guy. Um, so, uh, but yeah, I could very well be wrong. I, I was, I was tooting the Trey Horner turn or the Trey Turner. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was tooting the Trey Turner horn, uh, very loudly in, in 2020 before 2023. Uh, so for the, now onto the last team of the division, the Atlanta Braves who, uh, overwhelmingly won the division. They went 104 and 58 to win the NL East, but then lost to the Phillies in the National League Division Series. Over the offseason, they lost Kyle Wright, Vaughn Grissom, Kevin Bel- Kevin Pillar, Jesse Chavez, Mike Soroka, and Nick Anderson, and they added Jared Kelnick, Chris Sale, Aaron Bummer, and David Fletcher. Uh, who do you have as your Braves player to watch? Yeah, so for my Braves player to watch, I have one of these additions, uh, and I am talking about an ARR favorite, uh, I am talking about Aaron Bummer. Now, look, one guy that I've been high on this offseason has been Tyler Glass now. Why? Because he's leaving an organization where the pitcher's arms fall off every four seconds. Aaron Bummer is leaving an organization where they are stuck mentally in 1980 and moving to a different organization where they are a lot smarter. 
Uh, obviously, the shift was banned in 2023, but you know, shades became a thing, right? Where infielders play not in their traditional position, but still within the grounds of where they're allowed to stand. In 2023, the Braves infield positioned in a shade on 27.6% of total pitches, the sixth highest rate in baseball. And the White Sox did it on 8.2% of pitches, the second lowest rate in the league. Now, why is this important? Well, because Aaron Bummer has very famously been one of the best ground ball pitchers in all of baseball, and the White Sox very famously never utilized that the correct way. The best example of this would be go back to game two of the 2021 American League Division Series. Watch the inning that he came into pitch. He gave up like three consecutive infield singles that all went up the middle on ground balls because the White Sox refused to put somebody up the middle. And I'm hoping that the Braves will do a better job of accounting for the fact that most likely there will be ground balls coming out of the bat of Aaron Bummer when he's on the mound. Now, going more specifically into him, uh, also to note, uh, the Braves converted 74.3% of ground balls into outs last year. The White Sox did it on only 72.6% of grounders. So this is also a better defense in general in terms of converting ground balls into outs as well as you know, being smart about it. Bauer had a 60% ground ball rate last year and opponents hit 315 on ground balls against him with an expected batting average of 230. And since 2021, he has thrown 893 sinkers with at least 28 inches of downward movement, making up 64.7% of his total sinkers, the 11th highest rate among these 78 pitchers with at least 1,000 sinkers thrown in that time. So, uh, Aaron Bummer will be in a much smarter organization, in an organization that I think is more likely to uh, account for uh, how to maximize the efficiency with him on the mound. And I think he'll be a much better reliever in terms of ERA and in terms of the results uh, based on based on all that. Yeah, yeah. Very, very interesting analysis. And yeah, like uh, organizational philosophy can have a great effect on a pitcher like Aaron Bummer. Um, and yeah, I mean, that that. I mean, that uh, that difference in shading seems to be very drastic between the Braves and White Sox. Mm. So, yeah, it should work out. I mean, uh, yeah, like, and yeah, like shading does seem to have, a, have an effect. Like the average on ground balls last year, despite the rule changes. Yeah, by like I feel like I feel like what points. I mentioned with Jose A. Ferrer when I mentioned like a team picking him up and utilizing him better. I feel like I'm trying to imagine that's what's going to happen with a guy like Aaron Bummer this year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, especially with a reliever and a small sample size, that can make up the difference of mm-hmm. maybe half a run in ERA, maybe even a full run. So should be should be fun to watch. Um, my uh player to watch is another one of these guys, high strikeout rate, good batted ball metrics. Um, but it's one of it's also one of their additions. Um, and uh, it's it's kind of the re- he's kind of the replacement for Eddie Rosario, except he's only heading into his age twenty four season. And that's Jared Kelnick. Um, you know, highly, highly touted prospect, as many remember, um, really struggled off the bat, but had a kind of a resurgence year or maybe like just a preview of what's to come year. Um, and I was kind of su- and we were both pretty surprised that the Mariners let him go. But uh, yeah, Jared Kelnick last year went uh, he hit 253 with a 746 OPS and 109 OPS plus, you know, nine percent above average at the plate. And from 2022 to 2023, he improved his average exit velocity from 86.0 miles per hour to 90.9 miles per hour 
Uh, he improved his sweet spot rate from 27% to 39% and his line drive rate from 17% to 30%, nearly doubled it. Uh, also, out of 286 hitters with 200-plus batted balls last year, that sweet spot ranked that sweet spot rate ranked 24th and his line drive rate ranked 10th, you know, top 10 out of uh, almost 300. So yeah, Jared Kelnick has some really good upside. We, we already saw that upside considering like, you know, he was a top prospect coming up and that's for good reason. And um, you know, he really made some improvements last year. Uh, and yeah, like a lot of the guys that we, that I highlight, you know, cutting down the strikeout rate would, would make him a really, really good hitter. It's, you know, he's already a good hitter and he, and he has those underlying things to, to back that up. Um, so yeah. What is your Braves question? My Atlanta Braves question, Ronald Acuna Jr. is 39 home runs and 20 stolen bases away from becoming the first player in baseball history to reach 200 home runs and 200 stolen bases before their age 27 season. Will he get there? Uh, which is essentially just will he hit 39 home runs because I think 20 stolen bases should be a given. Yes, yes, for sure, for sure. Um, so yeah, I, I think that I think those stolen bases are a given. So yeah, it's a matter of will he get to 39? I so he's hit 41, I believe, twice in his career. Uh, in uh 20. In yeah, 2019, 2019 and 2023. In 2023. And yeah, regarding kind of the analysis of last year, like um like it made some really good changes. He struck out a lot less, which gives him a lot more opportunities to, you know, put the ball in play and, and hit the ball and therefore hit home runs. Uh, so that's a really good thing. That's a really good sign. Barrel rate was, you know, really high last year. Like it always seems to be. Um, but yeah, hitting, hitting 40 home runs is really, really hard. Um, I'm, I, I'm wondering, um, I'm going to just double check his numbers to see like how often he played because, um, he that played a lot. Had, yeah, he played a lot. He had like 735 PAs or something like that. Snit, yeah. Uh, he had uh, he played 159 games, and yeah, obviously got a lot of opportunities at the plate because his team kept uh scoring, so it get it got him more plate appearances. Um, and yeah, Snicker does tend to play his guys a lot, so I think that I think that playing time is going to continue so long as he stays healthy, which I imagine he will. Mm-hmm. Ah, man. Um, I'll say he does it just because he's he's Ronald Acuna Jr. He can do cool yeah. things, and I think he'll continue to do cool things. So, yeah, I'll say he does it. Uh, all right. Uh, my uh, Braves question. Let me go back to what I have going here. Um, last year there was only one of these guys. Um, will the Braves have over or under one and a half qualifying hitters with an OPS plus below one hundred? Below one hundred. Um, was it Rosario last year? Uh, Rosario was was exactly at one hundred. Arcia was at ninety eight. Arcia, okay, that would have been my next guess. So, I mean, if we're looking at this lineup, right, you got Murphy at catcher, if he qualifies or not. Olson at first, Albies at second, Arcia at short, Riley at third, Ozuna from the Braves and left, Harris, Acuna, Kalnick, DH. Or probably Kalanick outfield Ozuna DH. Yeah. Um, qualifying, so they have to have at least five hundred plate appearances. Yeah, I'll go under. I will. I will take the under. Um, 
Yeah, I don't know. I feel like maybe Kalanick doesn't get to 500. Maybe Ozuna doesn't get there. Maybe Arcia doesn't get there. Um, if it was like 400 plate appearances, maybe I'd go over. But I think for qualifying, I'll take the under. There's too many good bats in that Braves lineup to go under the league average. Yeah, and you could have like maybe only seven guys qualify too, which mm-hmm. definitely takes out the options. So that wraps it up for the NL East and the entire senior circuit, as they like to call themselves. Um, yeah, because it's all AL from here. Spal- the Spalding Invitational. Yes. Not to be yeah. con- not to be, to be confused with the Hoopal Classic. Yeah, exactly. You know, when I when I first uh, touched a Spalding basketball, I knew it was built different. Yeah, um, I knew it was. I just thought about Al Spalding, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I just kept thinking about him winning like 50 games for the Boston Bean Eaters. Red, Red, Stock, Red Stockings, maybe. Yeah, and losing like four games the entire season as well. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, tune in for the AL Central next week. You know, we're obviously very excited about that. Um, but before that, we will wrap up this episode with uh, our 40 through 41 on the ARR top 50. 40 through 41. 40, 40 through 31. Um, <laughs> Two players. Yeah. Or wait, what did I, what did I you say? Said, you said 40 through 41. Oh yeah. We got, uh, <laughs> we got two players. Two players tune in next week down. for two tuning next week for 38 and 39. Yeah. <laughs> We're going two weeks at a time. We will, we will finish the, ARR top 50 by in August. In August, yeah. We're gonna when the do season's that. already going on, yeah. <laughs> like Corey Seeger uh has a has like a 722 OPS in July. Well, guess what? I have him at number four. Yep. <laughs> um so yeah, we have our our 40 through 31 is what it is. And uh and yeah, if you missed last week, we did our 50 50 through 41. Um, and yeah, we each have our own individual lists. So, uh, I will have some guys who were mentioned in Daniel's list last week. Uh, Daniel will probably have some guys that were mentioned in my list last week. So yeah, let's start it out with your number 40. Yeah. My number 40 is a guy that you put, uh, towards the end of your 50 through 41. I don't remember exactly what place, but where, where Chris, did you have Paul Goldschmidt? Uh, 43. You have him at 43. I have him at 40. So we're pretty pretty uh on the same page with Paul Goldschmidt. Last year obviously he took a step down from his MVP campaign in 2022, but in terms of batted balls, it really wasn't that different. Um you know, he's still the same type of hitter. He actually uh, went up a bit in sweet spot rate from 31.8% to 35.6%. Um but you know, everything else was relatively the same. He also took a step forward on defense at first base this year with three outs above average. Uh, even if, you know, even though he was in his age 35 season, he's still hitting the ball very well. He's walking a lot. His strikeout rate isn't that bad. He's not chasing a lot. Um, he hasn't taken that many steps back from who he's been at the peak of his career, not even just in 2022, but in the like 20, like 15 through 19, like 18 days where he was, you know, an MVP finalist every year, seemingly for the Diamondbacks. And yeah, he, I mean, he is still, uh, you know, putting up some great numbers, going to be a Hall of Famer one day. Uh, and I have Paul Goldschmidt in my 40. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Yeah. And it, that's something I mentioned too, is like, uh, yeah, is ex- like he got really lucky in, in 2022 batted ball wise and 
then he got a little bit unlucky in, in 2023. So it looks like he got a lot worse, but he actually just kind of like underlying numbers wise, he kind of was the exact same guy. He just happened to get lucky one year and unlucky the other. Um, so, uh, so yeah. Um, and also something I forgot to mention just, uh, in regards to the show, like if you want a more in-depth analysis of, of, uh, most of these players, uh, go to the, ARR positional rankings playlist on the YouTube channel. We ranked um, every position uh, one through 10. So there's some guys that won't be mentioned on the ARR top 50 that we went into a little bit. And we just kind of went more in depth on, uh, on those, on those lists particularly, but uh, now on to my number 40, uh, this was your number 47. Uh, and yeah, this is, this is my type of player that I love to talk about. It's Nico Horner. Um, just a guy, you know, he he's not, he's not going to, win games for you necessarily at the dish you know he's an average hitter which has its own value it's it's better than below average obviously um he's that you know average means he's better than half the league at hitting and then along with that only corbin carroll had more bsr than nico horner last year that that should be considered mm. like corbin carroll had a had a generational maybe even more than uh, above generational base running season last year you know uh, 54 59 on stolen bases and one of the uh one of the highest extra base taken rates in the league and only nico horn or, or only he was above nico horner in base running runs last year because horner was 43 for 50 on stolen bases and also had a phenomenal extra base taken rate and then along with that nico horner also won a gold glove defensively um and Fittingly, he ranks 40th among all players in F4 in the last two years, uh, ranked 34th last year, but 40th among all players in F4 in the last two years. That includes pitchers. So it, it's fitting to put him 40th uh, on this list. Um, who is your number 39? So at number 39, I have a guy that is definitely more than 39 just with offense, but uh, with defense and base running comes this ranking. I'm talking about Rafael Devers. Uh, from the Boston Red Sox. Devers is still an awesome hitter and one of the best hitters in the game. Uh, his exit velocity has almost not changed from 2019 through 2023. He hit the ball an average of 93 miles per hour last year, barreled the ball up a lot, hit it very hard, um, and actually did get kind of unlucky when you look at his expected statistics. But uh, he has been one of the worst defenders in the league for some time now, basically since 2020 at third base. He's He's been very weird in terms of he'll make a very flashy, tough play, but then he'll botch it an easy one. Um, and his base running hasn't been great either. His sprint speed is very low uh, at the third base position. He doesn't make he doesn't always make the best decisions. Uh, but other than that, you know, he is an excellent hitter. Um, and, you know, Fenway isn't always the most friendly, but he he has opposite field power. He's able to drive the ball the other way, even to center field. Um, he doesn't strike out a whole lot. And he's also gotten a lot better with the walks in recent years. Um, and I have him as my number 39. Yeah. Yeah. Um, shout out to the hometown team over there. Um, my number 39, this is someone who would probably have a little bit of disparity on. You'd have him, you definitely have him ranked uh, a bit higher. I have Kevin Gosman um, of the Toronto Blue Jays. Um, yeah. Kevin Gosman is definitely an interesting guy to talk about because he, has some of the best strikeout and walk numbers in the league. He has pretty good run prevention, but over the past couple of years, he's had like a bad batted ball profile, which um, is, which makes him a lot, which makes him very interesting to talk about. Has some weird, like 
BIP expected ERA discrepancies, which is not normally the case. But just breaking him down, uh, he has a 125 ERA plus over the last two years, which is, you know, very, very good. Uh, Cy Young finalist last year. Uh, I would say he earned that uh, as well. And yeah, as I mentioned, great strikeout and walk numbers, but bad, bad ball metrics. So um, yeah, I have him ranked 39th. And um, yeah, tremendous upside with Kevin Gosman. Um, so I could easily see him. I could easily see myself ranking him higher next year, even though he's a guy in his 30s. Um, who do you have as your number 38? Yeah, my number 38, I have kind of a legacy guy, so to speak. Uh, it is Jose Altuve from the Astros. I went back and forth between Altuve and Devers quite a lot on this list. I could like I I switched them probably like three times, uh, but I ended up going Altuve over Devers in a very close race. The reason I did was because he is uh, continued to do what he does, and he did so last year. Uh, a 915 OPS last year, a 920 OPS the year before that, and obviously when you look at the expected numbers, it was not supposed to be nearly that good he did have a sharp increase in ground ball rate after coming back from the injury but there's still a lot of things that he did well he's still pulling the ball a lot he's still hitting extraordinarily well against fastballs he had a 3.2 run value per 100 against 14 fastballs last year and for me that was kind of the tiebreaker with him over Devers because you know if he's continuing to hit fastballs well then I am more inclined to believe that everything else will follow because obviously that's the pitch he's going to see the most of uh, he's still striking out and walking at a very excellent way, rate. He's not whiffing a lot. Um, he did chase a bit more in 2023, but uh, part of me wonders if, you know, if that's something that like the injury or not, I mean, maybe not the injury cause, but uh, I'm willing to let it slide for one year and let's, you know, see if it can keep going. Um, but, you know, he's still been an excellent option at second base for the Astros. Obviously he used the Crawford boxes to his advantage. Um, and I have him still in my number 38 after all this time. Yeah. Yeah. Jose Altuve at 38. Um, my number 38 is Adolis Garcia, um, who's definitely a newcomer. I wouldn't have had him in my top 50 last year if I had a list. Um, and yeah, definitely it was, you know, him being on a winning team, definitely shown the spotlight on him a little bit more, but he's, he's been pretty good over the last couple of years. Uh, I would say it's not just as it's not an instance where it's just one good season. Um, but overall last year he hit or he uh, was 31st among all players in F war. Uh, he had an eight thirty six OPS and one twenty three OPS plus along with a positive eight fielding run value. That's really, really good. Um, and then underline wise, he was pretty excellent. Uh, he was 90th percentile or better in hard hit rate, barrel rate, average exit velocity, expected slugging and expected WOBA. Um, so yeah, Adolis Garcia making the appearance in the top 50 at number 38. Uh, what do you got at 37? At number 37, I have a guy that I was pretty high on in my starting pitcher rankings, and I, I remain uh, high on him here. Another presumably newcomer, but Pablo Lopez uh, really impressed me last season, not just in his uh, couple of playoff outings, but really throughout the entire like May through October of last year. Um, there was not really anything that he didn't excel in. Uh, you know, he got a lot of strikeouts. He had very good command. He got guys to chase a lot. He got weak contact. If you look at his Savant page, and I, I hate just using a Savant page as a uh, as an evaluator, but the, the lowest percentile he has on his entire page is 64th percentile fastball velocity. And even then, he has 7.2 feet of extension at 96th percentile. So the perceived velocity on his four-seamer that he uses 40, 34% of the time is still even higher. Um 
Yeah, I mean, he struck out a lot of guys last year. He he had a pretty dramatic increase in strikeout rate last year. It went from uh, 23.6% to 29.2%, the highest in his career. His walk rate reached the lowest of his career at 6%. Um, and yeah, his average exit velocity against also went down uh, very slightly from 2022. Uh, so, I mean, I think he... Just looked really, really good for the Twins last year. You know, the the new ballpark and the new, uh, I don't know, just the change of scenery, I think, helped him out a lot. He has a really good pitch arsenal There's with a lot of variety. You know, he has a good fastball, a good sweeper, a good changeup. Uh, his curveball uh, got pretty good results last year. So, like, everything in his arsenal works. There's a lot of variety to it. Um, and there isn't anything that he uses too much either. You know, everything is – his fastball is his most used pitch at only 34.5%. Um, and everything he has, he uses at least 10% of the time. So you never really know what's coming and no matter what it is, it's going to be something that works very well. So, uh, I could see myself putting Pablo Lopez even higher, uh, right now, but after one kind of elite season, I have him at 37. Yeah, it was a, it was a very popular, uh, take of like, how could they have traded Luis Arise? Mm-hmm. Well, this is, this is why, this is why, uh, no, notice Luis Arise is not going to be on either of our lists here. Not saying he's that's completely slandering him. He's a good baseball player, but Pablo Lopez. Yeah, I mean, if you a little bit better, I feel like if you ask uh, like baseball fans which player they'd rather have on their team in 2024 between the two of them, all of the nerds are going to say Lopez, and all the casuals are going to say Arise. It's yeah, like it'll be it'll be like 90 percent to 10 percent on each side, right. Right, right, right. Um, so yeah, now into my thirty number thirty-seven. Um, it is uh your number fifty, Xander Bogarts. Um, and yeah, this disparity was kind of expected because you added him as your number seven shortstop. I had him at number five. Yeah. Um, he's just been like he's been very consistent, like wins above replacement wise. He has had a four-win season every full year, according to both both baseball reference war and F war his uh, a, a four win season on both those websites every full year since 2018. Uh, only him, Aaron judge Mookie Betts and Marcus Simeon have done that. So just a level of consistency that only the highest uh, only the guys at the highest level of the game have done. Uh, however, why I don't have him ranked higher is the fact that his average exit velocity, barrel rate, and slugging have been consistently dropping, uh, which kind of just drops his offensive value. And when it's consistently dropping, like it has been over the past two years, um, I tend to think that might be a trend. So um, I don't, I don't know if he'll be um, as elite as he's been, like as he was, you know, in 2022 or 2019. Um, so that's that's why I don't have him ranked higher. Uh, who's your number thirty six? Yeah, number 36, you had him in your 40s. I don't remember where, but uh, one of my favorites, obviously a guy that I've talked at length about, it is Yandy Diaz. Uh, where'd you have him again? Uh, 45. 45, you have him at 45, I have him at 36. So nine points of separation. MLB Network actually put him at 38. So they almost uh, ranked him higher than I did, uh, which would have been a huge upset for me. But um, mm-hmm. Yandy Diaz, I think there's a case to be made uh, that he has been a top 10 hitter in the league for the last two seasons now. Um, he's a guy that hits the ball at some of the hardest rates in all of baseball. Um, he doesn't strike out. He walks a lot. He ha- he doesn't chase. He doesn't whiff. 
you know, all of his swing decisions are excellent, and he does a lot of damage uh, on said swings. The only issue is that he uh, does have a low sweet spot rate. He just hit a lot of ground balls, even if his ground ball rate used to be higher at a different stage of his career. Um, and not only that, but he also doesn't play the best defense. He doesn't run the bases very efficiently. But, I mean, you cannot deny the offensive talent that he has shown. You know, excellent expected numbers, both with batting average and with slugging. You know, he hits a lot of line drives. He, uh, sorry. Um, yeah, he hits, even when he hits ground balls, he does hit them very hard. So they are hard to get to. Um, you know, he, he hits a lot of line drives. Um, and yeah, walking a lot. And obviously, you know, when you're not striking out a lot, there's so much opportunity, like you mentioned earlier with Cody Bellinger, um, to succeed. And Yanni Diaz does an excellent job of that. So I have him in my 36. Yeah. Yeah. My number 36 is, um, a guy who plays uh, on the opposite side of the diamond, not on the same team, but just generally speaking, I'm talking about uh, Alex Bregman, um, who, you know, when I, when I, when we did the third base list, I didn't have much to say on him because like, it's just been very consistent production over the past two years, basically since he came back from that injury in 2021. Um, But yeah, over these past two years, He's had at least a 120 OPS plus as well as positive outs above average. Um, and he also ranks 26th in F4 among all players in this span. I think why I don't have him ranked higher is uh, the F4 dropped a little bit, I think because of uh, a little bit of base running and or, or actually no, it was, it was uh, at the plate production dropped off a little bit last year. So I don't have him um, in the top 30, but still um, very consistently good and, and has earned a spot. Uh, at number 36 uh who do you have at number 35 yeah number 35 i believe this was another guy you put in your 40s um this is where i put yoshinobu yamamoto did you have you had him in your 40s right yes 40 uh 48 48 so 13 points of separation there mlb network had him at 61 so we are both uh higher on him than they are and yeah it's hard to rank a guy that's never pitched in major league baseball before um, but I, you know, I mean, look, he got $325 million for a reason, you know, Japan is while the, while the offensive approach is different there, it is still a very tough place to pitch. Um, and he did so by far better than anyone else over the last three seasons, a one, six, nine ERA last year, um, was a workhorse for, uh, Oryx and the playoffs. Um, and, you know, I think he's going to shine in his first year in LA you know he is the ace of that rotation but he's not the only Dodgers pitcher on my top 50 so you know he's not going to be asked to single-handedly lead this staff the entire year um you know I feel like he might make his first start in uh in Korea uh which you know obviously is still a different country but maybe there will be a little more comfort there um for him in terms of a major league debut so um, I put Yoshinobu Yamamoto at my 35. There's, you know, I, and honestly, I, there's probably a lot more discrepancy with other people than there are with you and I. So 13 points, I think, isn't too bad. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's it's there's tons of variation when you're talking about when you're talking mm-hmm. about a guy who's never played Major League Baseball, but also dominated Japan and got, you know, three hundred twenty five million dollars, which is by far the most money that any international guy has ever yeah. been given or or like an international guy that's never played in MLB has ever been given. Um, mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, my number 35 is your uh, number 49. I, I remember because I just, um 
I listened right before nice. uh, our episode. Um, but yeah, your number 49, Manny Machado. Um, yeah, so obviously regressed last year. He probably would have been a guy I put in at least the top 15 last year. Now he's at 35. Um, that batted ball luck was much more normal in 2023 than 2022. So I don't expect him to necessarily get close to that 2022 uh, level again. I don't I don't expect him to be an M- MVP finalist, but I still uh, predict he'll be a good player, maybe like 120 to 130 OPS plus while having really good defense because he did have 10 about 10 outs above average last year, um, which is really, really good. So him having him being potentially like, I don't know, 25% above average at the plate with 10 outs above average. Um, that's a really good recipe for success and being a really good baseball player. Um, so yeah, I have him at number 35. Who is your number 34? Yeah. Uh, number 34. This is the last guy on my, uh, 40 through 31 that you had in your forties. Uh, remind me where you had Trey Turner. 41. 41. So what? Seven points of discrepancy for yeah. Trey Turner. Not, not that bad. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously last year was a struggle overall, but, you know, I think things did get a lot better. Uh, obviously, I mean, statistically they got a lot better, but uh, one thing that I looked at was um, was how he did against, uh, like, forcing fastballs specifically and if that improved during the season. And from what I uh, remember researching before my computer broke, it did. Um, I had numbers, but I wasn't able to recover them because my computer died in the last week. But... Uh, yeah, things got a lot better for Trey Turner. Uh, no matter even, you know, even at age 30, he was still one of the best base runners in the entire league last year. Um, his BSR, you know, was not first and like, you know, not the overwhelming first like it used to be. But, um, you know, he still did a very good job, stole 30 bases, obviously, um, and had 99th percentile base running run value. Um, his expected statistics were kind of in line with what he actually did. Um, and I know that like his strikeout stuff got worse, his chasing and whatnot got worse. I do feel like a lot of that, you know, can balance a little bit more out this year and be closer to what it was in the last couple of months in the season when he did look a lot better. Um, you know, I feel like there is this, this thing. And I know that this was not Trey Turner's first time playing in a big market, but there are always, there is always that kind of first year in a new big market uh, type of year where someone struggles at first. Uh, and then, you know, they, they do better in their sophomore year. I'm pretty open to the idea that Trey Turner can do that this year because we saw it at the end of his first year and also in the playoffs. So uh, I put Trey Turner in my 34. Yeah, my, uh, yeah. Trey Turner, I think, I think a lot of questions about Trey Turner could be answered this year. There's a lot of speculation with how awful his first four months were and how mm-hmm. awesome his last two months and even, um, the first two series of the playoffs last year, like he was phenomenal there as well. Um, so like there's, you know, we'll, we'll see how, we'll see how this comes out. Um, he could, he could potentially still get back to that 2022, 2021 level. Um, so my number 34 is a guy, I think he was first off of your list. Um, I'm talking about Cal Raleigh, um, who, uh, among all players over the last two years is 36th in F war and uh, his he, he had a better season um, last year than he did the year before, at least in terms of total wins above replacement. Uh, and over the last two years, has the third most defensive runs above average in baseball. You know, phenomenal framer, phenomenal, uh, phenomenal with getting guys 
um, out on the bases, and then also had a 116 OPS plus at the plate uh, over these past two seasons. Um, so yeah, I mean, like one of the best defenders in baseball, well, being 16% above average at the plate, uh, really, really good. It earned him, you know, top 40 status uh, F4 wise among all players over the last two years uh, and puts him at 34 for me. Um, who do you have as number 33? At number 33, I have your number 36. We were pretty evenly on the same page with Alex Bregman. Um, and I think for good reason, because Alex Bregman is a guy that he has been very consistent since, uh, I, I guess, 2020, right? 2019 was his MVP caliber season where he finished runner-up to Mike Trout. Uh, and he hasn't quite done that again, but he's still, uh, you know, is a guy that walks more than he strikes out. And he always has been that guy. He doesn't hit the ball super hard, but he, you know, has a very efficient batted ball profile where he hits a lot of uh, fly balls. He pulls the ball a lot and he plays in a park where, you know, you'll be rewarded for that as a right-handed hitter. And he does, right? He found his way into 25 home runs last year, uh, despite an average exit velocity of 88.6 at, you know, the 36th percentile, you know, kind of similar to what I said with Altuve. Um I mean, he's, yeah, like, I don't know what else there really is to say about him because I feel like you said everything. Um, You know, it's, he's very consistent. He's a guy that is going into a contract year, I believe. Um, I feel like a lot of his talent, I feel like I would probably rank him lower if he wasn't on Houston and didn't have the Crawford boxes. So we'll have to see what he does this year. And if there's a contract extension, if he leaves to go somewhere else, like if he, if he played in Baltimore, I don't know if he'd be on my list at all. Right, yeah. <laughs> Which I don't think I think the Orioles are smart enough to not sign him for that reason. Uh, but you know, I mean, and that's you know, I don't that doesn't mean not to take away from him because he is a great player no matter what. Um, to to have this consistent strikeout to walk ratio as a hitter is pretty remarkable. Uh, going into going into thirty. Um, there's no reason to believe he can't continue it. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, so yeah, uh. Onto my 33. This is this is gonna be, yeah, this is not gonna be uh a popular take necessarily, but this is like the only guy that I will um like sort of put his put his health history against him. Um and it's uh Mike oh, Trout. No, wow. Wow. Um, wow. Because yeah, I mean, like the guy has uh you know failed to play more than 119 games since uh since 2019 um and yeah like if i'm if i'm projecting for uh just overall player production this upcoming year i have to consider that and then that's why i have him ranked 33 on a game per game basis i might have him top 10 like he is still an amazing amazing player like even in a down year last year it was positive defense with a 131 ops plus uh i imagine that ops plus will probably be around like 150 maybe even 160 this year um however yeah i I don't know if he's gonna play uh over 100 games this year because he just hasn't been able to consistently uh do that so yeah i mean uh i will be happy to be wrong uh if i am wrong but um, but yeah, I, I got to go off of, of off of what I've seen, and I haven't seen a healthy season since 2019, and I haven't seen a full full season since 2018. So, yeah, I, I, he's the one guy where I kind of have to put health history against him. Um, who is your number 32? 
Yeah, well, I don't know how I'm supposed to follow that up. Uh, I'm going with the guy that you put at number 37. I'm going with Adolis Garcia. Um, five points of separation. That is uh, going to be less than the separation points of Mike Trout. I can tell you that for sure. Um, I thought, I mean, I obviously I'll, I'll eventually reveal where I put him, but I thought I was being edgy uh, with my with my Mike Trout ranking. But Adolis Garcia uh, put up a really solid season last year. Uh, and then excelled as you know, kind of the the villain role almost in the playoffs, where you know the there was the whole thing with the Astros where they threw at him, uh, and then he went off for those final two games in Houston, had a tremendous World Series. Um, one thing that's very interesting about him, like he, you know, when he first came up, he was a guy that he was one of these guys where it's like, yeah, the power's there, but he strikes out and walks. Uh, at a bad rate so i don't know about it like one of those guys we'd put as a player to watch but he's an he's another example of a guy that's worked out you know his strikeout rate's still very high but his walk rate has more than doubled since 2021 which is excellent uh, he also hits very well against off speed and sink and breaking balls which is not uh the what it, what you expect you normally expect guys to feast off fastballs and have like a 40 percent whiff rate against everything else uh, but Adolis Garcia hit 272 with a 522 slugging percentage against sliders last year and had even better expected statistics, especially for his slugging. So I found that to be very interesting. He also runs the bases very well. He plays excellent defense. He has a good arm. Uh, I mean, you know, the strikeouts are what they are. You know, I don't think they take away from who he is as a player because he's obviously he's always been a high strikeout guy and he's still putting up, you know, OPSs. Uh, in the mid 800s despite that so Adolis Garcia goes in my 32. Yeah yeah and for um you know even just standard numbers like 39 home runs last year um you know that can be devalued after you look at like his on-base percentage which wasn't stellar but like still like tremendous power and also tremendous defender which uh like for a guy who hits 39 home runs you don't see that typically um and also a guy of his build like he's a like a thick like tank guy but he just happened to fi- find a way into eight uh, a positive eight fielding run value last year uh my number 32 is uh i believe your number 43 uh so an 11 11 spot discrepancy but it's brandon nimmo um who i think maybe a few years back i'd i'd put his health against him but he has played 150 plus games each of the last two years which is a great sign because he's a really good player and uh, mm-hmm. he has at least a 130 weighted runs created plus every year since 2020. And uh, considering the fact that he has played on a consistent basis each of the last two years, um, that's that's awesome to hear. Um, I think his base running went down a little bit last year and his defensive value will go down a little bit considering he's going from center field to left field. But uh, nonetheless, like a 130 weighted run, runs created plus each of the last uh, four years is uh not to be messed with so yeah i got brendan nimmo at number 30 <clears throat> excuse me at number 32 uh much... now to uh yeah, yeah close out this uh this portion of the list who's your number 31 how much time do we have real quick oh uh goodness uh we got six minutes oh we're chilling okay yeah to round out this list in mind to 31 i have michael harris the second um this one i feel like there could be some discrepancy because i know you put him as your number four center fielder and i put him at my five um but yeah i mean he put up a really solid rookie of the year campaign in 2022 where he came up and was kind of good at everything other than high strikeout numbers but he kind of fixed that 
in 2023, his strikeout rate went from 24.3% to 18.7%. He hit the ball a little bit harder, but other than that, his exit velocity and those kinds of things kind of stayed the same. Uh, The thing that concerned me is that his ground ball rate has remained relatively high at 48%. He did have a 28.2% line drive rate this year, but I don't know how much I can really bank on that staying the same. Um, But other than that, he is an elite base runner, an elite defender. Um, I would like to see him walk a little bit more. Um, and But, I mean, you know, his offensive profile is very good. I just want to see him lift the ball a little more, especially in Atlanta as a lefty. I think he's capable of so much. Um, you know, he's a guy that has a lot of extra extra base hit potential, maybe 25 to 30 home run potential. Same thing with doubles. Um, you know, I think there's still a lot more that we could see out of Michael Harris, but we haven't seen it yet. So I don't want to bank on it right now. Right, right. Yeah, there. it's not going to be... Uh too much of a discrepancy not to spoil but um yeah michael harris is uh okay. he's he's in the ballpark um my number 31 is your number 42 i'm talking about logan webb um yeah i i really i really like uh logan webb heading into this year part of this might have to do with his youth because i think he's only heading into his age 27 season um but yeah i mean over the last two years, he has the third most innings pitched in baseball, which is, uh, you know, definitely valuable in its own sense. Also a 309 ERA and 310 FIP in that two-year span. That's really, really good to have when you're throwing that many innings. Uh, he was a Cy Young runner-up last year. In your opinion, he should have won uh, NL yeah. Cy Young. Uh, and yeah, a great batted ball profile, or at least on the angle front, you know, getting a ton of ground balls and also solid strikeout and walk numbers. So I love uh, I love Logan Webb um, heading into this year. He was a top five pitcher in my mind, um, or a top five pitcher in my mind heading into this year. So yeah, excited to see what he can produce. He's definitely um, one of the guy, one of the bright spots on the Giants roster. So um, yeah, before we get wrapping up, let's get in. Let's uh, yeah, run back, run back. Yeah. So for me, I had Paul Goldschmidt in the 40, Rafael Devers in the 39, Jose Altuve in the 38, Pablo Lopez in the 37, Yandi Diaz in the 36, Yoshinobu Yamamoto in the 35, Trey Turner in the 34, Alex Bregman in the 33, Adolis Garcia in the 32, and Michael Harris the second in my 31. Yeah, my number 40 was Nico Horner at 39. I got Kevin Gosman, 38, Adolis Garcia, 37, Xander Bogarts. 36 Alex Bregman, 35 Manny Machado, 34 Cal Raleigh, uh, 33 Mike Trout, 32 Brandon Nimmo, and 31 Logan Webb. Uh, this episode we had two overlaps in, in terms of uh, guys that uh, were in the same group of 10. Um, so, yeah, that shall do it for this installment of above replacement radio we hope you enjoy this one if you are listening on apple Podcasts or spotify and want to watch the conversation as it happens go to the youtube channel it's called above replacement radio check out the the uh, youtube playlists where we got guest interviews most recently with steven shock of d1baseball.com uh had it was very generous and spoke for about an hour with us so uh anything you want to know about college baseball i know it's been you know pretty popular over the last week um, check it out. Uh, check out that Stephen Shock interview. We got all the info you need about the college baseball season. Uh, along with that, uh, follow us on social media. Follow me on Twitter at Chris underscore Gianta and follow Daniel on both Twitter and Instagram 
at Daniel underscore current and follow the show Instagram at above replacement radio for all the show needs. Uh, yeah, we hope you enjoy this one and we hope to see you next week where we will be talking about hopefully some more free agent signings as well as the AL central and our top 21 through 30 players in baseball. We will see you then. This conversation. This conversation is over. Is over. <laughs>